Jeez, it peeps. One in 8.5 homes are in the private rental sector in Fife. That's unbelievable. Goodness, where does that leave us, Richard? You want to, you want to have a, you know, this is unbelievable. One point, one in eight point five houses uh, in five homes are in actually in the private rental sector. Now, if that's one in eight point five, that means out of the hundred seventy thousand divided by eight point five, that means about twenty thousand houses are in the private rental sector in five. Uh, is that a surprise to you? Uh, not entirely, but I think when you look at the the figures like that, I think a lot of people will be quite surprised at the actual amount of uh, property that is involved in the private rented sector, especially here in Fife. And today we're going to talk about like the resilient growth of the, the Fife private rented sector um, over the last decade and, and the opportunities and, and the challenges amid that decade and things as well. But it is quite an interesting thing to look at. Can I make, a, can I make a, a, an observation here? Did mm-hmm. you know that the private rented sector landlords are the second biggest landlord in Fife? I didn't know that. Fife Council's got about 40,000, but there's mm-hmm. no other landlord got more than 20,000. So as a collective organisation, private landlords account for the second biggest landlord in Fife. I know the fig- I knew the figures were high in Fife, but I mean, that's quite a, that's quite an interesting start to hear. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, and, yet, but, and yet, how do we get treated? I know. That's a different story, isn't it? You know, if, you, if they realise, and, and, and I've got to understand that, I mean, years ago they understood this because I made this clear point, but it's it's changed over the years. I've not been able to concentrate on it because obviously other ventures I'm involved in, but we are the second biggest housing provider in Fife outside of the Fife Council themselves. The housing associations are not even as big as mm-hmm. us. That's quite yeah. revealing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and I think... I think as, as Fife strides um, into the future, I think that the burgeoning private rented sector has continued to house many residents within Fife. And, and I said about us looking back about the decade, I mean, we talk about the decade spanning 2011 through to 2021. Yeah. And we saw a significant surge in the private rented sector. And, and that's really a testament to the enduring appeal and uh, viability of the Fife property market. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think really that this growth has unfolded amidst the backdrop of a lot of challenges and um, housing challenges and underscoring the pivotal role of the private landlord and bridging that housing gap in Fife. Yeah, challenges, that's an understatement, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> in 2011, actually, I mean, 9.8% of homes in Fife were in the private rented sector. And yet this has risen to, um, by 2021, it had risen to 117 Now, I think it's broadly about the same uh, today in 2023. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a, a councillor approach me recently and said, you know, since 2019, has 94% of landlords, has that actually changed? They only have one property in the whole of Scotland. And I went, Nah, you're probably you're, it probably stays about the same because landlords on different different uh, number of properties actually exit at different times, don't they? Yeah. 
So the so the numbers will stay the same with that. But that actually means that one in eight point five five homes are actually in the private rental sector. Now, a, a, a glance at the housing trajectory reveals a stark reality: the public sector, public sector, notably uh, local councils, have been markedly lagging in the meeting the housing demand. Has anybody noticed that? <laughs> <laughs> Has anybody noticed that the council and the Scottish government have been lagging behind the demand for council housing and affordable housing? No, anybody noticed that at all? I think everybody's noticed that, haven't they? Uh, and they seem to a great, a great job of actually deflecting it and putting the attention on the private landlords as if it's a yeah. problem. It's like, wait a minute, this is a social housing crisis. It's not a private rental sector crisis. And if you sort the social housing price, uh, crisis, you will resolve the private rental sector crisis. So, I mean, over the, over the last two does, decades. Yeah, I was just going to say, how bad is, has, it, has it actually been about the, the, um, how much have they actually missed their, their, uh, their housing quotas and oh. the demand? Here we go. Over the last two decades, then look at the last two decades. So the last 20 okay. years, the UK has witnessed a noticeable shortfall in council housing construction on average of on average of uh, 1,630 uh, for the whole of the UK per year. And uh, that's not a typo, by the way. So that's, that's let me let me say that again <laughs> on an average over the last 20 years, the, the UK government and Scottish government together combined have only produced on average over the last 20 years, for the whole of the UK, 1,630 council house constructions. For the whole of the UK every year, compared to 144,910 per year in the private sector. That the comes through on the private. managed to build all these houses, but the council, house, the council sector and the social housing sector hasn't managed to build anything at all. That's a stark contrast, really, when you look at the figures like that. They should hang their head in shame. The government should, and the politicians should hang their head in shame. And, you know, they could say they're doing a bit something about it now, but they've said that for the last 20 years. I could go back and show you press releases from 20 years ago. Oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And we're going to get this built and we're going to get that built. And it's just all fallen by the wayside because other things have been more important to them than social council housing. And I've always yeah. said for the last 20 years, for well, the last 30 years I've been a landlord, I've always said every single year, if you want to resolve the housing issue, you need to build more affordable and social housing. In other words, council housing, not, let, let's be honest here, not housing association housing. <laughs> because housing association housing is another private landlord. And you can't argue with them on that because they do mid-market rents as well now. Yeah. They are private landlords in their own right, social housing providers. It's the council housing we need the most because councils will take the higher ground and the moral ground before evicting a tenant. Yes, definitely. I mean, that is, is particularly interesting, Jim, because we've looked before at averages like in previous, like if you go back to the, the 50s, 60s, 70s, when on average we were looking at about there's about 160 and a half thousand council houses were being built, and that compared to 147 wow. and just just pushing about 150,000 private sector houses per year. I mean, look at the difference in that from back in the 60s and 70s to now. It's just it's starkly, yeah. That's one percent. 
the last yeah. 20 years, the last 20 years compared to 1950s, 1960s and 1970s, the, the governments have only built 1% of what they used to build in the 50s, 60s and 70s. That's, That's a shocking that. record. Yeah. Absolutely shocking. And yet they still put the focus on the private landlords, don't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it'd be interesting, you know, for other people to comment on this to see what your thoughts are and see how are you surprised at the fact that there's only on the last twenty years there's only one thousand six hundred and thirty council houses built every year for the whole of the UK. <laughs> I still kind of believe that number. It's like yeah. you're joking. <laughs> but then, but then, as I said, you compare it to the private sector uh, construction: one hundred forty-five thousand houses built every year. Mm-hmm. So that tells you it's a matter of resources. I mean, because the, the government could have easily taken some of these houses and actually brought them into the uh, social rent by yeah. actually buying them. And they, and they do that. They wait until they're finished, then they buy them. So it's a shocking record on behalf of the government, on, on the Scottish government and the UK government, definitely, and the local councils as well, I would say. Um, it, you know, shame on them, basically. I mean, the shortfall in council housing has inadvertently propelled the private rental sector to the forefront, uh, making it uh, an indispensable player in the Fife housing market, in the UK and Scottish housing markets as well. Um, look at Edinburgh, for example. I remember Edinburgh, you know, the private rental sector, and, and this wasn't wasn't really when I was, this was way before I was involved in private rent and property. Um, but I remember working at Standard Life, um, and Standard Life was talking about um, private rental sector housing. And they said at the time, uh, the private rental sector is key to finding workers to work in standard life in Edinburgh because they don't have the availability of housing for the workers to stay in. Um, well, mm-hmm. I, I mean workers, but, you know, they're, they're white collared workers. Um, no yeah. people work. uh, So professionals and pensions and stuff. Um, but they all rented for that reason because they couldn't find anywhere else and they needed to rent. And the private rental sector played a key part in that. Uh, but now, all of a sudden, this doesn't seem to be uh, acknowledged anymore, I think, by, by most uh, governments. And, uh, well, the UK government's beginning to warrant it. Michael Gove has especially begun to warrant it and realising it's, um, it's, it's key and essential to do that. Um, what, I mean, how, how has it played out over the years then? And what, what, what is the essential things we've got to look at, Richard, itself? Yeah, I think... This growth, um, it has, it's been a bit of a beacon of hope for many and for landlords, it's like a, it's a realm of investment and with like promising returns and um, when you turn it in, but then when you, with, while the tenant, if you look at it, it avails the crucial roof over their head uh, in a market where possibly buying your home still remains a distant dream for many and, and that is the situation for a lot. So that's kind of how it's, it's left things. And it really has become, um, for a lot of landlords, it, is, it, does, it does bring promising returns. And, and on the flip side, tenants then, I mean, a lot of people do rent for the purpose of, they, they choose to rent, but a lot of people now are renting because they don't have a choice. Um, and that's what they have to do. So the private, the private rental sector really facilitates that. Yeah. I mean, the 1980s, when, when the council housing was actually sold off, it was sold off deliberately because the UK government at the time couldn't afford the huge refurbishment budget in order to get these houses up to level, you know, up to their standard. So it was going to cost an absolute fortune. And in that time in the 1980s, with the, with the impending recessions that were happening and the minor strike and everything like that, and the fact that there was no money getting generated within taxation for the UK economy, um, the, the UK government and, and the councils decided it, you'd probably be better to sell the houses off because... 
it would allow them the owners to take responsibility and do their own repairs and improvements and actually improve yeah. the houses themselves. Now, the guys that are under the fact that if you have owner, home ownership, you, you, you know, you, you, you go up a level in your understanding and you become more responsible in society. But really, it was down to the fact that the, the UK government in the 1980s was UK PLC was broke. They didn't yeah. have the money to do all these uh, improvements and repairs in all these houses. So that's why they sold them off. The biggest thing that they didn't do, though, is they didn't actually intend, to, they didn't replace them over the years. So they've had the best part of to the 90s, to the 2000s, to the 2010, to the 2020s. They've had 40 years of this in order to replace the stock that they sold off, which was about 70% of the UK housing stock in terms of 70% of the council housing, social housing stock. So this yeah. was the problem. And also what they did as well is they hived a lot off the housing associations and just created housing associations with some of the stock they had left in order to get rid of their responsibility for actually improving them and then allowing the housing associations to borrow against the bank. Now, effectively, that's why I keep saying that housing associations are really just yeah, a private land of different guys. Yeah. They, mm -hmm. they go under this charitable status, but and, and they, they class themselves as making a surplus when natural fact is a profit. You know, a surplus is just yeah. a profit and it's designed, and the whole point of that is to actually reinvest in the, in the stock. That's what it's there for in a nutshell. Um, and and that's 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 over all these years this has happened. So this is why all this stock's been sold off, but it's never been replaced. You're absolutely right. I mean, landlords have really found a fertile ground, ground haven't they? Um, to nurture the investment portfolios because of this. They've just picked up an opportunity, yeah. haven't they? They've picked up the opportunity for um for the, the fact of the lack of social housing. If the social housing situation had been sorted out. The private landlord market wouldn't be as big as it was. So what do you, yeah. what do you think? Yeah, I mean the we talk about yeah we talk about the resilient uh, growth of the, the the five private rented sector, and I think the area itself uh, does really um, demonstrate resilience. And although some landlords have chosen to exit the market recently. The demand for rental properties in Fife really does remain quite robust and uh, the persistent demand in Fife underscores the inherent value uh, propositions that Fife holds for both seasons and inspiring landlords and investors, which we've seen a lot of coming through at the moment because yeah. of the, the dynamic of things in, in Fife at the moment. So essentially, essentially what's happened here is we've just uh, plugged a gap we filled it. We found a gap in the market where there's been there's been a need for for private rented sector housing uh, to plug the gap of the lack of social rented sector uh, social council housing. I mean, you know, that's how I first started. I, I'll make no bones about that. Um, there was a shortage of council housing, therefore, people on uh, uh, well housing benefit at that time couldn't couldn't have anywhere to stay. I was a bit appalled at some of the landlords saying, "I don't want to take housing benefit." understand it's because it's the way the system works in housing benefits, yeah. not the person really. Um, so they didn't want to take it. But once you understood the housing benefit system, it, it was for me personally, it was like, I know how to tick all these boxes now. So I know how to get everything pushed through. Therefore, I know how to um, make sure that the tenant's going to have security and tenure uh, and, and actually be able to stay in the house for, for the long term. Uh, and that's where I saw the opportunity personally for myself. Um, so it's, the, it's, it's probably a lack of failing of the UK government and the Scottish government to actually uh, look at actually and, and um, 
revitalizing that market and replacing the existing stock. Now, they did put certain things in, like if you got receipts from the, the sale of council housing, what they said was you weren't allowed to then build more housing with that money, which was daft. <laughs> it's almost like selling off the silver. You know, at some point, you're going to run out of the silver to sell off and you're going to be, you know, UK PLC is going to be broke. Um, I've seen that in loads and loads of big companies. You know, I've had a lot of assets, uh, a good asset base. And what they've done is asset stripped and sold off and leased back to the bank and got money and used that money and paid out to shareholders. And then eventually, a lot of these companies are no longer here as a result of that. However, the blossoming of the five private rental sector has its, has its shades of concern. For tenants, the dream of home ownership is further away uh, as five house prices have continued to soar over the last few years, as well as throughout the UK and Scotland. Um, although they have eased recently, making the rental market the only viable option for many, it doesn't help though when five tenants help five tenants that rents in Fife have risen by 63% since 2016. That's quite a high number, yeah. isn't it? It is, it is. And I think you talk about tenants and home ownership and things, and although we talk about it quite a lot. and fewer um, responsibilities and a lot of the entry and exit costs are a lot than, than home ownership but people's desire to own their own place um, they have that sen sentiment and it does really resonate deeply among a lot of people in Fife especially Fife tenants they do kind of aspire to have own home ownership I mean, amidst the unfolding narrative, um, we are conscientious uh, letting agents deeply attuned to the market dynamics and the needs for both landlords and tenants. Um, the expertise that we have in the Fife property market, you know, in Fife, further afield, because I've looked at all the other markets as well, yeah. I understand it because I've, I used to be the chairman for the National Landlord Association in Scotland. So I understand where all the markets are in other areas. Uh, has enabled us really to cultivate a harmonious landlord-tenant ecosystem that not only is financially rewarding for landlords, but also empathetic to the housing needs for tenants. And, and I think that's quite an important thing. You know, it's, it's all very well saying landlords, I mean, there's an assumption here that landlords are coining it in. Now, Richard, do you think I'm coining it in? <laughs> no. And what makes you think that then? <laughs> Just give no, me an idea. Give me an idea. What makes you think I'm coining it in? Um, I, I'm not. What, what makes you're you not think coining I'm not coining it in? Coining it in? Yeah. Because I obviously see how much outlay you put back into your portfolio in terms of regeneration, refurbishment, and uh, reinvestment, as opposed to pocket and profit. And that's just not how it works. And yeah. I think people from the outset might have that might have that opinion. Um, and maybe financially, you as a landlord, for example, are in a good position now. But look how long that's took you to accumulate and, and, and be in that position. And look at all the, the, the property and the people that you've housed in that journey. So I think that's the important thing to remember. If I was to count up the amount of money that uh, for non-payment of rent that I've actually had over the years, yeah. it would it would be astronomical. And the difficulty of that is the non-payment of rent then leads to the fact that you can't then reinvest as much in the repairs and improvements of the properties. Um, well, I would say improvements because the repairs are essential anyway. But improvements mm -hmm. are obviously the main thing. And 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 it and it the the, the first thing that pops into my mind when somebody doesn't pay the rent even though they can pay the rent remember it's not it's not some people actually choose not to pay even though they can pay and that's mm -hmm. the people that should be um uh, taken to task i would imagine uh, well definitely 
Um, and that's the problem is it's it, somebody else loses out as a result because that's yeah. that's how the, that's how the system works. Um, so I think I think um, the to coming back to the, the harmonious ecosystem that's been created between the tenants and the landlords right now because of this, um, it's only going to it's only going to benefit a good working relationship later on um, for yeah. for both parties. Um, do you think the um, introduction of the Scottish government uh, getting involved in this is is a good thing or a bad thing or are you not sure yet or? No, I don't. I think. If their involvement, if it was done correctly, would be a good thing. Yeah. But be, because it's not, then it's just it's just created more issues and more problems. And ultimately, I mean, I know landlords obviously suffer to a certain extent, but ultimately, it's the tenants that end up with the with the uh, at the bottom of the line. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's quite interesting. Uh, Massey came on. Uh, Maisie came on and said. Um, you know, improvements are not tax deductible. Repairs are um, most improvements are actually tax deductible as well. Now, Maisie, um, yeah. if you, if you want to touch base with that, the only reason uh, an improvement would not be tax deductible if it wasn't replacing like for like, or yes. for example, um, improvements. For example, if you put double glazed in a single glazed house, um, you would still get that as fully deductible. It's very rare now. It used to be uh, very draconian, but the the taxman. And the tax authorities, UK tax authorities, are actually quite uh, sympathetic towards most things that get done now. And they've not got enough people to police it. So the reality is um, you're probably better just to... Um, and, and I spoke to my accountant recently about this because I had the same dilemma. Just to cover this with Maisie, um, I had the same dilemma with my accountant recently. Um, I had done a number of improvements on a property I just bought. And yes, improvements are actually putting in brand new kitchens, brand new heating system, brand new... Uh, and once I'd bought them, and I went to him and said, you know, under the rules... Um, really, this shouldn't be tax deductible and it should be capitalising it. And he went, no, it's tax deductible. Really? What? He says, yeah, you'll be fine. You'll be okay. It's fine. And so I was actually quite surprised, pleasantly surprised, actually, because you don't really, if you're holding for long term, it's no good. You know, it's no good to you if you're if you're putting on a, a capital, the capital value, because you're not getting any deduction against it. And you'll never get any deduction against it because you're never going to sell it. Um, so that's the, that's the difficulty of having to do um, improvements which could be capitalised, so it's very, very rare. Uh, yeah, yeah, you possibly need a new accountant. <laughs> Macy's saying that. that. I'll probably need a new accountant. Yeah, you probably do. <laughs> um, yeah, an accountant. If anybody's account, looking, yeah. if, if anybody's looking for a good accountant, I would, uh, I would probably just say Parson Boyd, Parson Boyd in Glenrothes or Leven and Fife itself. Uh, Colin McClock is actually a really good accountant. He will be anyway, because once I'm finished with him, with the amount of questions that I've asked him to go over back and forward all the time um he's probably he's probably is pretty knowledgeable about the buy to light market and and what is what's deductible what's not deductible and what's what's tax efficient overall uh, yeah so um comparative analysis and rich by statistics paints a favorable picture of the fife's private rent sector growth making it a compelling choice for existing potential landlords the journey of a landlord remember is one laden with promises uh, and challenges the yeah. landscape of buy-to-let investments uh, is ever-evolving and navigating it requires a blend of market insights, uh, foresight, and a trusted partner who understands that local terrain. Now, as we look ahead, the horizons are promising for both those keen on exploring the opportunities nestled within the five private rent sector, definitely. I mean, is it, is, is it any surprise, and I don't think anybody's really aware of this, is it any surprise when I say to you, 
if you apply 3% every single year to Patrick Harvey's, uh, you know, impending legislation, in the next six years, you'll have a 26% increase in your rent. Yeah. And a lot of people, and Jim, I didn't even realise this completely until we spoke about it last week and we looked at the figures and I thought, God, when you add that, it does. And it's, so yeah. that's another thing that's not been thought through by the government. But, hey, if that's the way it's meant to be, then... Yeah, I, you know, I'd I'd like to keep my mouth shut on it because I should do, and just let him let him hang himself by his tongue as as the politicians do, and then then he'll reap what he, he'll reap what he sows. That's what it comes down to. But he's not going to be there for that long anyway, because as soon as the SNP is put out of government or or of the or of the get power by themselves without them, they'll just kick them into touch, and then that'll be the end to them. Um, so definitely. Um, yeah. So. That is, um, is a good example of how we um, do analyse things and look at things uh, in a different way and maybe pick up on things that your general landlord or, or maybe even your agent won't pick up. So, I mean, I do, obviously, I invite any landlord investor who's obviously nurtured an idea to delve into the five rental market. Um, if they want to engage with us, then obviously do that. Um, we are always open for insightful yeah. discussions that like we do on here and making informal investments decisions in a market that's really ripe for potential in Fife at the moment. So it's quite interesting. It's quite interesting. Um, you, you all think typical private landlord wants to maximise the profit and all the rest of it, and that's fine. Um, but I'll give you a classic example recently. So, you know, um, I know personally there's people renting properties or two-bedroom flats in the area mm -hmm. for around about £600 a month. So then I've just got another two-bedroom flat, which is really good condition, and I've just agreed a rent of 495 a month. Yeah. So if I was a landlord who's after profit maximization all the time, then that's where I would go for. I'd go for 600 quid a month because I know I'm going to get it because of the restriction in supply right now and I know somebody will need to take it. However, yeah. I'm okay with the four five four nine five just now. I'm okay with that. Now, just let me take you back £495 a month for a two-bedroom apartment in Methyl, okay? Now, I'll bring you right back to the year 2005, which is almost 20 years ago. How much do you think, Richard? Guess. You don't, you don't, maybe don't answer, but if you were going to guess, how much do you think, how much does everybody else think in 2005 what the rent was for a two-bedroom flat in Methyl? Just, I'd be interested to hear anybody's comment right now. How much do you think was a two-bedroom flat about 20 years ago? How much was the rent every single month in in, in the metal area for a two-bedroom flat? Anybody? Richard, <laughs> what do you I'm think a two-bedroom? On, on, in real terms, when you look at the prices today and, and you walk it back, what do you think it would have been? Or what do you think well, it should have been if that's the case? Well, in 2005, it more than likely have been about 400. Yeah. In 2005, the rent for a two-bedroom flat in Methyl, 20 years ago, was £450. Yeah, well, I was going to say, when I, when I started in 2010... In 2023, almost 20 years later, it's £495. So there's been a £45 increase, which is equivalent to a whopping 10% increase in 20 years. Yeah. Now and you we're tell me the in there... Now you tell me out there if private landlords are profiteering. Yeah, and that's, I, I mean, if you look at that, that's over 20 years. And if we look at the 3% increase on an annual basis in five years, what did you say that was, Jim? 26%? It comes to about 26% when you work it out. Over six years, sorry. 
I said six years because it's like point uh, zero. Uh, it's 1.03 times 1.03 times 1.0 yeah. to the power of six. Um, so that's what it is. Um, so, you know, that's it. I, uh, Angela says, wow, I was going to say 350 quid. Do you know it was 350 pounds for a one bedroom flat 20 years yeah. ago? What's the what's the rate for a one bedroom flat just now, Richard? Well, we're doing anything from 400 to 450. Yeah. So basically, yeah, about 395. So a, a, a flat, a, a one bedroom flat in 20 years has gone up. 13% in 20 years. And I don't think people realise, I don't think people realise about the fact that if you look at rents over a long-term period, historically rents haven't risen dramatically. They've not risen really as much as what inflation has risen over these years. But what the government and what the media is choosing to do is isolate it, like we said, how Fife rents have moved up since 2016, 63%. Because what happened is from 2005, they came down to about 2016. Then they started to go back up again. Yeah. So see how we can easily say, and since 2016, Fife rents have gone up 63%. But in reality, Fife rents in the last 20 years has probably gone up round about 15%. Yeah. Now, let me just let me just take like, 1.03 times 1.03 times 1.03 times 1.03 times 1.03. And Patrick Harvey's actually five years. His legislation will be more than what it was for 20 years for private landlords doing it on their own. Who's morally right now? <laughs> <laughs> when you think about it, eh? the three percent increase every single year will be more over the next five years than it was for almost over the next the last 20 years for every single private landlord in Fife. Because rents have so only he, gone up about 15% over 20 years in Fife. Yeah. So he's put, he's they've pushed that, obviously. They're the one that's implemented it to that level. Absolutely. So what's he done? He's made it worse for tenants. Yeah. Tenant, the tenants out there do not know what's coming as a result of what he's done. They're, stand, they're sitting there listening to that guy and they're actually thinking he's their saviour when in actual fact, he's not. He's the person that's going to destroy it for them. He's actually encouraging every landlord to put their rents up. Put their rents up, yeah. He's encouraging every landlord to put their rents up. I've never put rents up my whole time I've been in this market. I've only put them in between tenure. But now, because of the legislation, I'm getting forced in a position, if I don't plan for the worst, it could end up happening. Murphy's Law. I've just got to say what Murphy's Law was spoke about yesterday. Murphy's Law. Murphy's Law and plan for the worst. So I'm forced now to put my rents up as much as I can in order to plan for the worst in case next year comes along and it is the worst case scenario. So tenants will suffer as a result of that, and that's right across every single private landlord in Scotland for that reason. The guy has taught the dog to chase the sledge. And if you don't know what that is, contact us direct and we'll tell you that story. We've got time to talk about it here. So insightful discussions, investments in the right market and potential. The, I mean, the narrative over the past decade is telling uh, telling companies and, and 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 potential returns ahead with potential returns ahead. Being a landlord, 
okay, is a long-term commitment and shouldn't be influenced by short-term market fluctuations. This is what yeah. I keep telling everybody all the time. Everybody's going, I'm exiting, I'm exiting, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. Listen, that's short-term thinking. We will still be here in 50 years' time. Yeah. And we'll still be in the same position. And prices of property will still go up because in the last 20 years, no matter what anybody says, it's fact. When I say this, in the last 20 years, salaries have doubled. It's a fact. Yeah. If you look up the statistics in the Office of National Statistics, salaries have doubled in the last 20 years. If salaries have doubled, people have more money to pay for higher mortgages. It's a fact. That's yeah. all. So therefore, I've got money to pay for higher mortgages because people just think about how much money am I spending every month? Is that acceptable to my budget? Absolutely. I'll get a bigger house then or I'll get a bigger mortgage. That's what's mm -hmm. pushed house prices up. So that's the key there. It will continue to go up because salaries will rise again. I mean, there's some places that are actually in America are asking for 20 and 25 percent in the automotive industry. That'll just that'll just boom the market again. Yeah. And it happens. It's it's called a, you know, if you look at equity investment, it's called a J curve. So what happens in the short term, everything starts to go down. And then but in the in the medium to long term, this is how the private landlords work as well. This is how the private sector works in terms of investment. You put all your money in in the beginning and you start to lose money because you're doing repairs, improvements, refurbishing and all the rest of it. You're putting tenants in, you're doing all the property to get it all oh, up yes, to speed. Yeah. You've got a high initial finance cost, you've got furnishing costs, you've got carpets, you've got curtains, you've got wallpaper and you've got decorating, you've got repairs and improvements, you've got electrics, you've got gas central heat systems, you've got double glaze and you've got all these things to do, roof repairs and all that. So you've got all these things to do in the beginning. So that's why your profit drops. But in the medium to long term, then it starts to go up exponentially. The J curve, it starts to go right up. Uh, and then till, till, till it goes way beyond what you initially invested in in the first place. Way beyond. And that's mm -hmm. why property prices double yeah. for that reason. So that's what this is all about. This is a medium to long term business. This is not short termism. For many landlords, initial investment is not about the quick returns, but it's the long term benefits, such as property appreciation and the consistent rental income in order to, in order to service the debts. Because remember, the tenant's not got any liability for the debts at all, really. They're not paying anybody's mortgage. The mortgage is in the landlord's name. It's the landlord's responsibility to pay the mortgage, not the tenant. All they're doing is paying for the use of the house. Yeah. Then the landlord's using that money to pay for their mor the mortgage that they've got. That's all. Unless the tenant wants to take on the mortgage themselves, but that's home ownership, and they don't want home ownership. Even wow. with rising mortgage rates, the increased rental demand suggests rents could surge by around 20 to 25% in the coming four or five years. That's guaranteed for us, by the way. Yeah. There's no surge. Patrick Harvey's put a guarantee in. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Patrick. <laughs> You've put a Patrick. I mean, I, I've got. I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't laugh at that, but I'm laughing at it because it's stupidity at best. Mm -hmm. It's the very fact that you've put a rental guarantee in for rent increases going through every single year when it was never there before. Yeah, and you've guaranteed it to go through. And that's why in the next five to five to six years or four or five years, you're going to have a guaranteed 20, 25% increase. Everybody that's a tenant is just going to have to factor that in because it's just going, it's going to happen whether you like it or not. It's going to happen, yeah, regardless. And that's down to Patrick Harvey and the Greens. 
Nobody sees that. I'm sure you'll vote them back in. <laughs> <laughs> Moreover, long-term appreciation can offer significant returns when it comes to selling properties. Especially considering the leveraged nature of property investments, even in challenging times, holding onto properties aligns with the foundational reasons many entered the buy-to-let market in the first place for. Five landlords are really playing a, a crucial societal role, filling a gap left by insufficient social and council housing. Yeah. Yeah, so I think, I mean, in essence, while entering the, the five buy-to-let market, I, it might feel a bit daunting now and just with everything that's going on, but uh, those already invested should really think carefully before they exit, and, and I can't ex express that anymore. And we spoke about it, I think, um, last week. And it really does make sense to just take a step back and think about what you're doing and don't be too hasty. Because people are, oh, this, this, a few things are going wrong. They don't weather the storm, sell up, and, and may live to regret it. Jim, you even spoke about your own experiences of uh, feeling like that at some point in time. But then obviously you 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 come around and, and changed your, your mindset and thought, well, what am I doing here? Uh, but you can get you can get fortunate. emotionally involved in this. This is this yeah. is you've got you've got to you've got to watch because you can get emotionally invested into this because you're dealing with people's lives, and that's yeah. the reason why it was difficult for me because I take on people's, I take on people's problems. It's just my nature. So when I have a tenant, it's it's under duress, under stress, or anything like that. I I begin to empathise with them and I begin to feel for them, and it's mm -hmm. very very emotionally draining to have to do that. Um, but you feel compelled to help. And and unfortunately, sometimes you want to help them more than the, they can help themselves. And that's the difficulty here, the frustration yeah. involves in that. So if you're that type of landlord, it's difficult to detach yourself from the current situation. However, I'm compelled to stay in the market because I realise if I exit the market, there's going to be a huge hole. If I, Especially if I exit the market, there's going to be a lot of properties actually no longer available for rent. And if it's bad now, wait till you see what happens. You know, if people like me exit the market, it's going to be catastrophic. Yeah. For supply and demand. So it would, yeah. No, I know. So the key, so the key here is, it is really a case of, it's a medium to long term investment strategy. It's, it's you choose to put your capital, you would have put in your pension more than likely into property. This is what mm -hmm. I did. I never banked on a pension saving me at all. I, I, pension was never for me. I wasn't interested remotely because I had no control over that pension. And it was some guy or girl in an investment house that decided in their strategies how to invest. Now, I used to phone up Standard Life and go, what are you making on your pension just now or your endowment just now? Well, we're making a 5.4% return every single year. I says, can you make 25% at any point in time? And they went, no. I went, cash my policy. They went, but you, and I'm like, well, what's the point? Why would I want 5.4% when I was doing 25% of that time? Now, that is a strategy that still works today, by the way. <laughs> and everybody's like, what? You can still get 25% in the buy-to-let market. Absolutely. Yeah. You've just got to understand the dynamics. It's not, it's not the 25% is not through charging people more money. The 25% is understanding the, the model you have to operate before you start. 
the, the mix, in other words, the purchase price compared to the interest rate, compared to the uh, occupancy rate, compared to the rental value, compared to the overhead spend that you're going to have to do on it. And if you get all these factors to combine together, the overall effect is possibly a 25% return on investment. That's the key. That's how you do yeah. it. And it's still perfectly conceivable today. You just have to know what to do in that in that context. And I don't think anybody's really got that experience and knowledge and expertise just now because they, they operate in this this restricted environment and the restricted environment's driven by, dare I say, the furus that go and teach this, yeah. the, the fake gurus, the people that actually teach this and say, if you do this and you cross that and you, you tick that box and you all, and it's like, and it should work out like this. And, you know, most people don't actually start that journey after being on one of these courses, by the way. Um, but but it's key and fundamental to understand the dynamics of how to do it because then it leaves you a good margin and the margin is there for if anything goes wrong. It's not for you to go on your you know your cruise or your holiday or anything like that. I know I'm going on holiday next week, <laughs> but but it's not it's not my business. It's not anything else other than my savings that are paying for this over yeah. numerous years. Been doing that for a long time as well. Yeah. Numerous, numerous years. If you count up, if anybody out there counts up all the amount of money they've spent on their holidays over the last thirty years, well, that'll far outweigh any holiday I'm going to have, and yeah. and it could be the most glamorous holiday in the world, and it'll still far outweigh what you've spent on yours to what I've spent on mine. Um, but but the key here is what I was going to say is you've got to make enough in order to reinvest back into the stock, in order to look after the tenant, in order to have these rainy day things. It's the Murphy's Law, play the downside. If you get the downside covered, you're quids in. It makes yeah. sense, absolutely. So it's let's finish off here, Richard. Um, I was just going sorry, to you, were, you, were, you were going to say something. What were you going to say? Yeah, to finish, I was going to say, it is true what you say about your your connection to your, your port, not just your portfolio as a business, but as the tenants and that kind of emotional attachment. And I think especially here in Fife, the, the private rental sector, it is more than just a market. And you know, it's a community where every landlord's investment uh, and it catalyzes the, the broader social good, I think. And every tenant's satisfaction is kind of like a badge of honor. Um, and if you're a landlord and doing that properly, you should wear that uh, with pride. Yeah. And pride is a good word to to use to finish because I think we should take pride in it because I remember what the buy-to-let market and private rent sector was like 30 years ago when I first started. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, to to I'm not under I'm not under glorifying this or whatever it is by saying it was like the wild west. Yeah, <laughs> literally, you that. were you were just you were putting people in, and there was no sort of formal tenancy agreements. There was a people were just doing moonlight flats. They were probably just stealing all your furniture at the same time, loading them in the back of a van. And now and again, you take somebody, dismantle your kitchen, you just put in your brand new kitchen, and they put it in the back of the van and sell it as well for drugs. And that's what the buy-to-let market was like when I first started out. It was that sort of market. So you had to protect yourself a lot, and you had to reference people a lot, and you had to devise all these new methods because things like homelet and all these insurance and credit checking, none of that ever existed. Experian, that was only yeah. banks who got access to things like that data. It was never us as, as, as buy-to-let landlords or even letting agents at that time. It was just a wing and a prayer and understanding and knowing and just knowing if that person's right or not and being able to have a gut feel if you think they're right for yeah, the property. Yeah, just trusting your gut instincts, yeah. 
but often, often you were, you were, you know, you took a hit for thousands of pounds of repairs on a, quite a lot of properties and moonlight flits quite a lot as well. But but that's that was the nature of the transient population operating in that market just now. Over the over the last thirty years and how it's come up, it's now professionalised itself. Um, a private rental sector is now a tenure of choice, whereas when I started, it was a tenure of last resort. Yeah. Um, so a, a lot of the younger generation now are just opting to rent because they see the fact that it's not anything to do with we can't afford to buy. It's 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 the it's the prudent thing to do. Now, I know that because when Elaine and I first started, guess what we rented? We mm -hmm. rented from a private sector landlord. So I knew what it was like in the experience in the in the initial because I didn't have houses at that time. So I knew yeah. what it was like and I knew what it was um, like trying to get repairs done from a private landlord at that time. But we rented because we wanted to make sure that we were right for each other, that we could live together. A lot of couples today, you know, get married, you know, or, or some of them do. They get married. They've never lived together in their life. They get married immediately and they move into a house and then the next minute they can't live with each other yeah. because they don't. They've never they've never understood each other. Um, so my advice to most people, most couples just starting off for the first time is live together. And private run is, <laughs> yeah, rent a property, live together to begin with, trial run it, see how you get on. And if you if it works well together for you in the relationship, then fantastic. Because if you're not, if you're when you're not together, you see, you don't see every intricacy of that what that person is and what they're like. You just see the good stuff when you get together. But that's all about initial courting and things like that. I mean, we're getting into maybe we should talk about that in the qualification show. <laughs> good, that's a good but because you're getting you're getting into the realms of you're not having to live with somebody and maybe picks their feet, you know, and and scratches their bum, <laughs> and you know all these different things. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, they pick yeah, their yeah. toenails and chuck them on the ground, or they pick their nose and flick their bogies and stuff. And and that's the sort of what? thing you what don't. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing you don't see when you're courting, is it? Yeah. So that's why I'm, I'm a big fan of, um, you know, live together to begin with and maybe get a private rent sector. Don't commit yourself to a mortgage right away and see if you're right for each other. And then once you're right for each other, go and buy your first house. Incidentally, right now, 30% of properties actually getting sold in the market are to first-time buyers. 30% of properties getting sold as well are to cash buyers. And the other 30% or the third is mortgage holders. So it's very, very encouraging to see more first-time buyers come into the market because that's what we need in order to keep the lifeblood of the market and the, the property market. So this is quite a healthy improvement for the property market overall. But as well, the great thing about some private landlords is when it does go a bit different and the market does change a bit and, and first-time buyers aren't available, the private sector is there to pick up the slack. Yeah, that's where there's a huge benefit in the private the private sector, the rental market, because they pick up the slack at the lower end at the bottom end, because obviously they have to buy a more affordable house in order to rent it for a more affordable rent. They can't just buy something, you know, at 300, 400,000 and try to try to rent it for 500 quid a month. That's just no economically viable. That's not even mm -hmm. a proper return on capital. They've been as yeah. well taking their money and just putting it in the bank. And, and then it's just and, and it's literally just making probably just as much if that's the case. So, um, you know, to finish off, Richard, what's your final thoughts on this before we finish off? Because I could go yeah. to that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. But we've explored, obviously, the different, uh, the, the progression and, and the different aspects of the rental market over the last 
the decade and indeed the last couple of years. And I think if, if you're a buy to let the investor or, or consider doing that, I mean, the, the rental market in Fife, I, I mean, it's more than just a business venture and your evidence to that, Jim. Um, it really has a voyage on the impact you have. And um, if anybody wants to ever have a chat about that or or how we approach that as, as, as an agent and, and, and indeed as a landlord yourself, Jim, and, and quite a big landlord who has looked after a lot Stuart, of people. Stuart Curry on Instagram says, when are you starting relationship counselling, Jim? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that, I think, um, yeah, to, feel free to touch base with us if you want to go through any of that. But it, it is really a long-term, um, not just a business venture, but as, as a whole um, impact thing on the area and Fife. And if you're a local person or investor, then you'll you'll be open to that as a as as part of your business venture. Perfect. You've got a property chat meeting coming up at the end of the month, have you know? Did you hear that? Okay, you've got a property chat meeting coming up at the end of the month. Yeah, sorry, the connection jumped there. Yeah, I do thirtieth of November. We're going to do that. Um, um, just doing the details of the venue and things and i'll send that out to everybody so if you're in the local area and you want to just chat between uh, landlords investors and just just general investment or property uh, advice or just really to run past maybe your ideas that you're having uh, through other people that are at different stages of their journey whether they're really seasoned whether they're just starting whether it's an agent like myself do you know what i mean trying to get a mix of those yeah. people together to bounce ideas off is a really good thing. So, so people know okay. what the property chat and uh, meetings are. They're basically a no pitch. There are no, no. pitch um, um, uh, networking event. Um, so there's no pitch involved in it or anything like that. It's just people getting together to network with each other in the Fife area about the Fife property yeah. market itself and the rental market and the housing market and whatever it is to do with property. We've just all got a passion for property in some shape or form. Um, and if it, if, it, if it helps anybody, then, you know, by all means, uh, we'll meet up on the 30th of November. Yeah. The 30th of November, yeah. Thursday. It's a Thursday. Okay, good stuff. Thanks very much for your time, Richard, and uh, everybody else tuning in and their comments Thanks and everything like that. Go. And uh, bye bye for now. Okay, bye.